This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. That's a bit of the audio from songs from the controversial French rapper known as Freeze Corleone. You might have heard that his concert in Montreal next month has now been cancelled after Canadian Jewish groups pointed out that some of his lyrics are really anti-Semitic. They not only glorify Adolf Hitler, but they've got all kinds of conspiracy theories about rich Jews. The rapper says he even doesn't give an F about the Shoah. The rapper was investigated in France for being racist. His music label dropped him, but he's never been convicted, and his songs hit the top of the French charts. Now, all this is happening just as Jewish leaders from Canada and around the world are gathering in Hamilton for a conference called Hashtag No More Antisemitism. They're bringing together teachers and Holocaust experts and prominent speakers, including Alicia Wiesel and Dara Horn. She's the author of the award-winning book called People Love Dead Jews, which came out last year. Horn says she's attending, even though she's convinced we'll never eliminate anti-Semitism. And she wants Jewish communities to hear her blunt talk that they need to find a new approach focusing on Jewish pride rather than building new multi-million dollar Holocaust museums and pushing governments to bring in mandatory Holocaust education in schools as young as grade six. You know, it is something that is, it's, it's scary and disturbing. And, you know, I don't, I don't have a great solution to it. But I do think that there's a problem when we're not able to talk about anything besides this when we are um, talking about ourselves with our non-Jewish neighbors. I think it is a problem that the only thing people know about Jews is that they died in the Holocaust. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, November the 17th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Some of you have probably read or at least heard about Dara Horn's latest book. I've long wanted to interview her about it. Her research takes readers into the historic roots of anti-Semitism, from Tsarist Russia long before there was ever an Israel, to why people love Anne Frank, who died, but they don't love the books by Holocaust survivors who lived nearly as much. And then we got to Harbin, China, and her chapter on how they first welcomed Jews, then destroyed the Jewish community, and then figured out it would be smart business to restore all the synagogues and cemeteries and market it as a tourist destination for Jews. Horn also says showing Kanye West or Kyrie Irving a Holocaust museum won't work either. So coming up, we'll hear what she thinks of the current spike in anti-Semitism and more right after this message. Did you know April 2023 is Israel's 75th anniversary? In honor of this huge milestone, UJA Federation of Greater Toronto is planning an epic trip to Israel, and all of Canada is invited. Israel's anniversary, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, is a one-of-a-kind experience. Streets are filled with parties, fireworks, music, and dancing. On UJA's Israel 75, you'll get to join the celebration. 75 is not a regular anniversary, and Israel 75 is not your typical trip. You'll get a truly unique experience of the country, no matter how many times you've been before. 
With 10 specialized tracks, you can create an itinerary that is totally personalized, whether you're a foodie, an adrenaline seeker, a TV buff, or politically minded. The best part? You can mix and match tracks on different days. Embark on a thrilling adventure one day and a culinary experience the next. Let your own interests be your guide and experience everything Israel has to offer. To learn more about the trip, visit UJAIsrael75.com. That's UJAIsrael75.com. And Dara Horn joined me from her home in New Jersey. It's a real honor to meet you and and, and talk about your uh, coming appearance in Canada at the new conference that's going on in Hamilton called No More Anti-Semitism, which is an issue we should discuss right from the get-go. Why did you decide that you wanted to come and take part in this conference? Well, I think that this is a, an issue that confuses a lot of people, to be honest, because, you know, certainly in the United States and certainly in Canada, you sort of have this whole discourse around things like racism and diversity that often is designed in a way that excludes the Jewish experience. Um, and part of the reason for that is because anti-Semitism, I think, functions a little bit different from a lot of other bigotries. Um, most bigotries are about sort of, you know, punching down, um, you know, there's this group of people who I believe are inferior to me, something like that. And while that anti-Semitism does have a component of that, anti-Semitism is a little bit different from that in that it's actually a conspiracy theory. Um, and because it's a conspiracy theory, um, it allows people to feel like they are punching up and speaking truth to power and doing their own research while actually just parroting lies. Um, but it does also mean that a lot of even, you know, sort of like well-meaning people can sort of fall into this um, while pursuing other, you know, other things. And I just think there's an enormous amount of confusion around it. And I was hoping to participate in this conversation about it just to lend some clarity to it. Okay, but let me talk about the title because I know that the intention is is good, maybe to get a grabby headline or, or to make a statement, but can it even happen or is it being naive? I mean, do I think this conference is going to end anti-Semitism? I'll, I'll be blunt, no. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think we're, and actually I will admit that this is something that people have often asked me, um, having written a book that, I mean, it's funny, I don't even think my book is directly about anti-Semitism, but it's certainly about the role that Jews play in a non-Jewish society's imagination. Um, one thing I've discovered since publishing my book is that people then come up to me and are sort of, you know, very asking me very desperately, like, so what's your solution to this problem? And, you know, I mean, my tasteless joke about this is like, did you really want me to give you the final solution to the Jewish question? Because I wasn't really prepared to give that to you. But what I really mean is like, yeah, I'm not going to like solve this 3000 year old problem for you in this book that's like 200 pages long. Um, you know, do I think that this is a problem that we can eliminate? No. Um, but I do think that there are ways that we can change the conversation around it and that we haven't um, fully exploited all the opportunities to change that conversation. So what areas can be maybe exploited or concentrated on that may work better than what's been happening to date. Okay, so there's there's a few elements here that I would love to address, um, and a lot of them, which I've a lot of which I've sort of ex, you know experienced from my readers um, or or learned about from my readers since my book came out. Um, one issue is that this problem is much bigger than a lot of people think it is, um, and the thing that's disturbed me the most since this book came out is the responses I've gotten from Jewish readers, quite honestly, and all of them. These are people from all different walks of life, old people, young people, religious, secular, you know, people from large Jewish communities, small ones. They're all saying, they all tell me the exact same thing. 
which is, you know, I felt uncomfortable my entire life and I never understood why. Your book articulated this for me. Thank you. And then they say, I never told anyone this before, but. And then they tell me some like long horror story of like humiliation in their own life. Um, with some sort of, you know, and, and I wouldn't even call it anti-Semitic incidents. It's like just like these small humiliations, not the kind of thing that, you know, you go and report to some agency, not the kind of thing that ends up on some hate crimes watch list, not those things, smaller things, but that are just part of this like really like sort of like like sewer that runs beneath people's lives. And it was just so disheartening to me. Like, I can't get over how many people are having pennies thrown at them in 21st century North America. Like, I thought that died in 1952. Apparently not. Um, I mean, it's just like, you know, things that were, young people were experiencing. It's just really shocking. So that's like the piece that I feel is very discouraging. And what's worth talking about is the things that we don't talk about, right? Because we tend to only talk about this topic when it's something violent. Um, so that's one piece. But then the other piece is when I talk about changing the narrative is that what's been really heartening to me, honestly, are responses I've gotten from non-Jewish readers, because what I've discovered in among my non-Jewish readers is that there's a lot more ignorance than malice. Um, you know, there, you know, there's a core group of people who are very, you know, who are hateful and you're not going to change their minds. But the vast majority of, you know, people in uh, non-Jewish societies like ours really just like, don't know anything at all about Jews. And you sort of can't blame them for that because we're such a tiny part of the population and there's no education. And these people really want to be in the in the parlance of our time, good allies, and basically just don't know how. And my solution to this, when I say changing the narrative, is think about what we teach people about the Jewish experience. And when I say people, I mean, you know, in, in a larger non-Jewish society, like what's in a high school history textbook about Jews? It's like a world history textbook, right? If it has ancient history in it, maybe there's a page near the beginning about the Israelites. It doesn't mention that those people are Jews. They, you know, they're dead people from a long time ago. Might as well be Phoenicians. Who cares? There's a much bigger chapter about ancient Egypt, Babylonia, and Persia. Um, and then if it's a book that has modern history in it, there's maybe a chapter toward the end about the Holocaust. And so from this, we learn that Jews are people who got murdered and are, their murders are there to like teach us something nice about humanity. And there's nothing in between and there's nothing since. To me, this is an anti-Semitic erasure of Jewish culture. And you could say like, oh, well, Jews are such a small percentage of the population. Um, but the problem with that is that Jews are not bit players in the history of the West. You really can't understand Western civilization without understanding its foundations in Judaism. And so my suggestion is like, why are we not teaching the public about the content of Jewish civilization? On that point, um, <laughs> You know, in Canada, you mentioned allies, so I want to dig down a little bit. Yes. Our government has outlawed Holocaust denial in the criminal code as of this past summer in the budget. It, it's now law. We have a czar like you have Deborah Lipstead. We have, as you know, Professor Erwin Kotler, uh, who's a Holocaust denial and Holocaust education uh, anti-Semitism envoy. They've, government has now put $85 million this year into three Holocaust museums and some other Jewish culture Five provinces of I'm going to keep going, but five provinces have adopted the iron definition, and there's a lot of allyship that way. On the other hand, there's still horrible, terrible hate online, and the government's anti-racism people, uh, you know, fund 
an, an, a racist guy who calls Jews bags of feces who are Zionists online and gets, you know, a quarter, uh, half a million dollars out of the government for it. So do you see these kinds? Uh, oh, and Ontario just announced, I forgot, on, on Wednesday that it's making Holocaust education mandatory in grade six. So what do you make of this? I think that there's been a sort of an emphasis on in the past, and I will say in, in the American context, it's been the past 50 years. I'm not sure what the history is in Canada. It might be a little bit different. Um, but in the United States in the past 50 years, there's been an enormous emphasis on the idea that Holocaust education prevents anti-Semitism. Um, you initially had some of this coming from the organized Jewish community from initially 50 years ago, was initially came from survivor communities, um, which were really invested in this idea that Holocaust education prevents anti-Semitism. The problem is the data is not there. Um, first of all, if you just look at it objectively, you know, it's certainly in the United States, and again, Canadian trajectory may be a little different, but um, you know, rates of anti-Semitism are much higher now than they were when these museums opened 30 years ago. Um, you know, that's sort of I, you know, the question that's not being asked is, is this working? Um, I have looked into data on eff efficacy of Holocaust education in terms of pre preventing anti-Semitism. It is not there. Um, and I will tell you what is there. Again, to go to a, a slightly different context, um, the, the most robust study of this is in the UK. Um, there was a study that was done about six years ago um, by um, University College London, which surveyed, I think it was 8,000 secondary school students. So you mentioned that they're now teaching, want to teach this in sixth grade or, or grade six. Um, you know, this was a study of secondary school students. So like grade seven through 12 in the UK of people who, and again, they, in the UK, they've had, I think it's about 20 years, they've had mandatory Holocaust education in schools. Um, uh, they interviewed the students, uh, um, about 400 of the students were focus grouped and they, even the ones who knew the information, sort of knew all the, the, the facts that were taught in this Holocaust education course, none of them could answer the question, why didn't the Nazis target the Jews? None of them could answer that. And then when they were pressed by the researchers to answer it, their answers came from Nazi propaganda. They would answer things like, oh, well, I guess the Jews were rich and you know the Germans thought they were taking their money. It was like these kinds of things. Because in the course, the way the course was taught, there was no context given of like the history of anti-Semitism, that this is not something that just basically the way they're teaching this is that anti-Semitism is something that happened in continental Europe between 1933 and 1945. It consisted of murdering six million Jews and now it is over. That is the way generally Holocaust education is taught in a non-Jewish society. The example I gave was from Britain, but this is true almost everywhere. The other feature that you see in, is that Holocaust education is used to teach something, a universal lesson about you know, humanity and man's inhumanity to man. And um, I know this is very common in a lot of museums. You will have like a museum where they have like some ex Holocaust exhibit, but then they also say like Holocaust and other genocides, Holocaust and other human rights atrocities. I know there, this is, um, well, there's a Winnipeg Human Rights Museum, which does something like this, but um, it's, you know, there's several museums in the United States that do this. Um, I think this is really striking because um, I know that here in the United States, if you go to the National Museum of African American History, uh, you know, another group who certainly in the United States experienced, you know, all kinds of um, struggles and discriminations and this long sort of tortured history. You go to that museum, you come out of the exhibit about American slavery, you don't then enter into an exhibit that tells you about enslavements around the world. And, you know, human trafficking still happens today. What are you going to do to prevent human trafficking? And the reason they don't do that is because that would be insulting to black history, 
right? That would be turning the struggles of the black community into basically just a, you know, a symbol of something that actually matters. It is dehumanizing to be used as a symbol. It is even more dehumanizing to be used as a warning. And that is what Holocaust education is being used for. It's taking the Jews as a symbol for something that really matters to non-Jews. And quite frankly, that is part of a long trajectory of anti-Semitism of non-Jewish societies take appropriating the Jewish experience and using it for their own purposes. I mean, this is like what the church did for thousands of years. You know, we're the new Israel. Um, and I mean, so to me, this is the limitation of like it, we, this sort of re reflexive thing that is often done, and which sounds like it's happening in Canada, too, that there's a response to sort of surging anti-Semitic hate crimes and things like that by um, very well-meaning people, you know, legislating like, let's mandate Holocaust education or, oh, this public figure said something anti-Semitic. Let's take that person to a Holocaust museum. The problem with that is that, you know, that public figure then goes to a Holocaust museum and makes some public statement about how Nazis are bad. Like, that's a low bar to clear. Let's talk about that, because in yes. Canada, two things. In Canada, in Toronto, in Canada, there is no museum of the Jewish people. In mm -hmm. Toronto, they tried to build one years ago. There was Roigus over whose name would be on it, and they couldn't get funding and what have you. But there is tons of money for Holocaust, but not for an actual Jewish museum of the Canadian story. Not how doesn't exist. There's little synagogues that have, you know, small. Or not little... even, uh, not even just of the Canadian story, like Jewish, like this, like we like so basic, right? Like what are like who are Jews? Yeah, they don't have that. So yeah. that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, when all this effort is made about what defining anti-Semitism, like the IRA definition, that's another big thing that's happening in our country, where every, you know, I was mentioning before, city councils and blah blah blah, it's been attacked by pro-Palestinian anti-Zionist forces and you can't have a discussion and you talk about in in many of your talks is that modern Judaism and showing what modern Jews is is now being poisoned by the anti-Israel lobby so even if Jews want to talk about how great Jews are we won all these Nobel prizes yada yada uh, we've done Moderna and medicine and, and COVID vaccines and you know we have politicians in, in all walks of life and and you know, Drake and what have you, everything gets attacked by hate about, well, but Israel did this and you're a Zionist. And so you can't even have the discussion. So where can we go from here? Um, it's it's actually much deeper than that. I just spoke a couple, uh, two weeks ago in Kansas City and the person who was in the conversation with me, this is for a, a, a diversity, equity and inclusion event for their you know city chamber of commerce or something like that. And the person who was in conversation with me was talking about a recent anti-Semitic incident in their city where somebody was standing on a very busy street corner, you know, like major intersection in the city, holding a giant sign that said, it's the Jews. And she's like, you know, this is an anti-Semitic provocation. I'm like, well, obviously it is on our planet. But imagine an alternate universe where the person who's holding the giant sign that says it's the Jews, what they mean by that is it's the Jews. They invented the weekend. Or it's the Jews. They had mass literacy before the invention of the printing press. It's the Jews. They're the only people who have ever successfully revived a dead language. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I would sort of, you know, that, that's, you know, I want to, I would say it's not about, you know, 
look at all these you know famous scientists or something it's about like what jewish civilization has given to world civilization and also how jewish civilization has been sort of you know foundational to what we a lot of us cherish as like you know ideals of the west okay so that's one piece i want to put over here um but to address your question about israel and you said like oh this whole rhetoric this whole conversation has been poisoned by this anti-israel rhetoric i want to tell you just how old this is because you mentioned this as though this is a new phenomenon. Um, I speak frequently at college campuses around North America, and always it happens that there's some student who's at my event who will say something to me like, you know, can't I be anti-Zionist without being anti-Semitic? And often they're asking and really just wanting to know. Like I said, ignorance, not malice. These aren't people who are heckling me. And my answer to that student is, I don't think you are aware of, and I said I might be wrong, but I don't think you're aware of the origins of the slogan you just shared with all of us. It's from the Bolsheviks in 1918. Literally, this was the Bolsheviks were trying to consolidate their power after they've you know, uh, you know, gotten rid of the czar. They need the Yiddish-speaking masses of the former uh, Russian Empire on their side. They created what were called the Jewish sections of the Communist Party, whose goal was to spread Marxist propaganda among the Jews of the former Russian Empire. And these their slogan in 1918 was, we are not anti-Semitic, we are just, wait for it, anti-Zionist. Um, so yeah, this was in 1918. Did you catch that that's 30 years before the state of Israel is founded? Like, no, it's not about Netanyahu, which is how this slogan gets to, you know, this. that's like the trajectory of 100 years of how this slogan has reached people in North America. So it's really not new. This is a very, very old thing. And the problem, I think, with, in terms of, with how the Jewish community has responded to this is that often the Jewish res community responds to this as if it's a good faith conversation. The Jewish community often, I remember this like in the past 15 years, at least in the United States, they were like, oh, students who are going to college are going to encounter this kind of, you know, anti-Zionist uh, anti rhetoric. And they would like try to like arm people with like, here's a list of talking points about Israeli history that shows why this is wrong. That, that would make sense if this was a good faith conversation. That would make sense if this was this conversation had anything to do with Israel. When a 15-year-old girl posts Shabbat Shalom on TikTok and is flooded with trolls who are like, hashtag free Palestine, you B-I-T-C-H, there is nothing in that exchange that has anything to do with an actual place called Israel. And I fail to understand why we have to pretend that it does. It's a lot to think about. I know I've, uh, I have uh, one more thing I want to talk to you about, and that is you mentioned earlier about taking people to Holocaust museums. And we have to talk about the current because it just happened. Kanye, Kyrie and yeah, yeah. and the, the huge uh, social, cultural normalization of anti-Jewish rhetoric in North American culture. And so we had it here, too. And I just mentioned Leith Maroof, who talked about Zionist being bags of feces on his Twitter feed. Okay, but in the year and a half that your book came out to try to change the, the discourse, which I think it has, at least in some circles, it seems to have been much more amplified, gotten worse. We have Trump saying that Jews are to blame because they support the Democrats. And so I'm just wondering, the temperature is rising. A lot of people, especially Holocaust survivors, kids are feeling that. Are you feeling that? Are you seeing it? Is this any different than like 1939, which is what people are saying? 
I mean, we could nitpick about like, you know, 1939, I don't feel is the most uh, useful analogy, like, because that's about state sanctioned violence, whereas these other situations are about, you know, the state may be involved in terms of like, you know, not taking this as seriously as it should, um, you know, or doing things that might enable it, but it's not the same as like, you know, totalitarian state. So I don't find that, I don't find that analogy very useful. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't find Let's yeah, talk about the temperature and culturally yeah, yes, for sure. it's normalization so the of, yes. of anti-Semitism. It, it seems that it's everywhere and no one cares anymore. I yeah. think not, not no one cares. It's like, it's the anti-Semitism of du jour, as we call it in the news business. It's like, how much can you write about it? It's everywhere. Yes. Um, I mean, the other thing that I think is confusing for us in here in North America is that we, again, following the sort of rhetoric that um, comes from the history of other minority groups in, in our countries, I think we're sort of trained to think that like, you know, there's this arc of, you know, history that is long, but bends toward progress. And, you know, there's this incremental improvements all the time. It's like, you know, cause we were starting from like some horrible point of like, you know, genocide or slavery or whatever it is. And then hopefully we're improving on that because, you know, you can't, I mean, it's hard to get worse than that. So, but what's, you know, the thing about anti-Semitism is it follows a very different historical pattern where, um, it's usually like communities that are totally integrated and then things change. Um, this is a cyclical pattern. It's not sort of this like arc of progress or something like that. I see no, I don't see really evidence of that in Jewish history. So, um, the other piece of this is that I think that we are coming off of a long period after the Shoah where, um, because of the, you know, ultimate, uh, egregiousness and, and horror of the Shoah that you had, non-Jewish communities that were really chagrined by that. And that made anti-Semitism a bit of a social taboo in a way it hadn't been in the past. And now it's really, I don't, I, you know, you can sort of blame various people and various things for this sort of rise in what we see now. It's, I, I honestly think a lot of it is just because this sort of generations of non-Jews who, you know, grew up with this social taboo of like, of, you know, coming from the, after the, after the Shoah, those people, that generation is is passing, and now it's like we're. I see it as revert, reversion to a norm. Um, honestly, that's unfortunately. I mean, it's like very depressing, but that's, <laughs> that's kind of how I see it. Um, the other way of looking at it is also that we just live in a more interconnected world, and we're more able to see people's opinions. Um, you know, it used to be that you only would hear people's opinions when it was you know the celebrities that had a big platform would say something. Um, you know, now it's like you know any idiot has a platform and kids. Um, so I don't know that it was, that it's different in that sense. I think it's possible that we're just seeing more of it. Um, but as you say, that also makes it more acceptable. Um, so I do think that that is a dynamic that is, yes, I, I, it is absolutely concerning. Um, you know, Kanye West, you mentioned like, an, oh, I, I, I hate that I have to have an opinion about Kanye West. Um, but I will tell you that I live in New Jersey and it was shortly after, you know, his, rant or whatever it was that like, you know, there was some threats to synagogues in New Jersey from the FBI. Um, you know, every, the synagogues all over my state were put in higher alert. They did eventually arrest the person. Um, there was a person who they were able to identify and, 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 you know, he's, I don't know what happened to him after that, but they, you know, they were able to neutralize this threat. But I mean, yeah, there's real world consequences to this, like, you know, harassment on, and rhetoric on, that's online and, you know, in our lives. Um, I think that then there is really no information about, you know, there's a lot of emphasis in that kind of education. Well, often when we try to teach people not to be bigoted, um, the strategy often is, you know, oh, see this group of people over here that you might be 
inclined to be prejudiced against, you shouldn't hate those people because they're just like you and me. They're just like everyone else. And the problem with that in terms of the Jewish experience, and I imagine that other minority groups may feel the same way, but the problem with that in terms of the Jewish experience is that Jews spent 3,000 years not being like everybody else, right? It's the distinctiveness of Jewish culture and experience that is so important to us. And then that's what we're being asked to erase in order to gain public respect. We're being asked to sort of do this thing where like, look, we're just like everyone else, as opposed to sort of celebrating actual diversity, right? Which is not just about like, here's a bunch of people on a brochure that have different skin tones, but like, here's a lot of different cultures that like are worth being curious about. I think the problem is that like, there's no interest in curiosity about other people's experiences. So instead of teaching the Holocaust, we're going to wrap things up. Instead of teaching about the Holocaust, bring real live Jews into schools like they do in Germany. It's like they have the museum, meet a Jew. And it's a very popular. And in in Sweden, the the, the government of Sweden has done that with outreach, meeting Jewish people. Like they actually bring them to classrooms and they have Muslims that come and and to see like they might be the first Jew anyone's ever met. I mean, you know, there's problems with that too of like, you know, dropping somebody into to a classroom to be a zoo animal or something like that. But it does have a, it does but it does no, absolutely. It, I think it makes an enormous difference especially for younger students. I mean, you mentioned like teaching Holocaust to like 6th graders. I am uh was just at the Dallas uh Holocaust and Human Rights Museum a few months ago for a piece I'm writing for the Atlantic about Holocaust education in the United States and I asked what so and Texas, I mean, obviously there is a Jewish, you know, everywhere you go, there's Jewish communities, there are Jews in the Dallas area, obviously, but, you know, Texas is a big state that doesn't have a whole lot of Jews in most of, you know, most of Texas. And I asked the docent in the museum who uh, who was taking me around, like, what do students often ask when they go on this tour? And he says, students will sometimes ask, are there still Jews alive today? Because if you go to these Holocaust museums, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. So, yes, I mean, like be, making people aware there's a living culture. It's not about, you know, yes, it's about the history, um, but that also like that this is a living Jewish culture that's, that's important today and not just an important part of the fabric of North American life, but also like foundational to Western civilization. Uh, a lot to discuss, and I'm sure we'll get lots of feedback. And good luck in your talk at the uh, Hamilton Hamilton Conference. And um, thank you again for sharing your thoughts with the CJN Daily. Thank you so much for having me. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. If you got some thoughts about the interview and Dara Horn's views on how to deal with anti-Semitism, why not drop me a note? I'm at ebessner at thecjn.ca. Now we've got one more update. It's some breaking news out of Vancouver. City Council has adopted the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. Although originally the councillors got tons of pushback from independent Jewish voices and even from First Nations communities who say it would stifle criticism of Israel. The vote was 7 to 1 in favor with two abstentions. In other news, a book about the history of the Jews of Quebec has won a Governor General's Literary Award. It's by Pierre Anctil from the University of Ottawa, but the prize actually is for the expert who translated it into English, Professor Judith Weiss-Woodsworth. She's formerly from Concordia University, and she gets the $25,000. Also today, the Governor General will be bestowing Orders of Canada on several high-profile Canadian Jewish leaders, including philanthropist Aubrey Dan, urban planner Ken Greenberg, 
plus Montreal mental health activist Ella Yoeli Amir and Daniel Bereskin, a trademark lawyer in Toronto. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.